So I'm literally standing here outside of a Starbucks right now, a Starbucks that I frequently set up shop and do work on my laptop. Uh, and uh, yesterday I saw the John MacArthur um, video that maybe you've seen um, and uh, talking about women and the way in which he talked about women, specifically talking about Beth Moore. And, uh, and it was difficult to listen to at the same time. Um, I've heard that kind of rhetoric before, uh, and it really kind of stirred in me. And then this morning, um, when I logged onto the old Facebook, uh, I saw in my memories uh, that a year ago, I preached a sermon um, titled, Wait, Women Can Be Pastors Too. And I thought to myself, um, this would be a really good um, just uh, thing to go back to, circle back to, review. Uh, so many people, I think, are still in this place, this space of um, being around people who are influencing them, saying women uh, aren't allowed at the table, uh, aren't um, allowed into positions of leadership because for some reason God has said they can't. And so uh, I know the podcast has been on a hiatus for a while, uh, and I'll update you on some of the things in my life in the future, but I'm out here literally on my AirPods. This is not like a professional um, setup like I try to bring you guys normally, but I thought uh, it'd be good to just post that teaching that sermon uh, here on this platform for you to check it out um, on its one year anniversary and uh, for you to um, to, to maybe uh, uh, come on back, check out some more Beyond Boundaries. I promise you things are in the works. I want to get back at it and get some more up. But uh, with everything going on today and with the conversation that's unfolding about women in ministry today specifically, I thought it would be a great opportunity to share the sermon. So check it out. Let me know what you think and uh, stay subscribed. Keep checking, uh, checking back to the Beyond Boundaries podcast because I promise a rhythm is coming and more episodes are to be in the future. All right. Peace. So one question I have before we get started, have you ever been told something as if it's black and white? Like it's just this way. This is the only way it is. And then maybe you went to college or got made a friend and something changed in your life, your experience probably, or your relationships, and you were like, whoa, I thought this was black and white. It's no longer black and white. This relationship or this particular experience has now inserted a whole lot of gray into my understanding on this particular topic. I only ever saw one side of the conversation. Now I'm beginning to see a whole nother side of the conversation and it made it a little muddy for you. We've all probably been there at some point in our life with any number of topics. And so what we're kind of doing through this series is we're saying, wait, what if we paused and we said, okay, some of the things we've maybe been taught about the scriptures, um, maybe we weren't taught the full picture. Maybe we were given one particular side and maybe there's room for us to understand it a little bit differently or to consider at the very least a different approach. And so today we will be doing that. Today's title is wait, women can be pastors too? That's going to be the title for today. And for some of you, it might be that, Justin, what? Why is that even a problem? And for some of you, it might be like, I was raised a certain way that women aren't allowed to be pastors or women aren't allowed to be elders or fill in the blank. Uh, women had all kinds of limits maybe in the way you were raised. Before we even get started on diving into women being pastors and all of that, um, I want to first start with Genesis 1.27. Here's what it says. It says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
this passage tells us that men and women are both image bearers and equals. And uh, even very people who approach this from a very conservative lens would agree with this, that uh, men and women are both created in the image of God and, and therefore are equals. Where the conversation typically splits is when we talk about roles and responsibilities of men and women. And some would say that men are designed to lead and women aren't. And they would say that we find that in scriptures. And we're going to talk about some of those scriptures here in a moment. The thing we can't do, though, is we can't divorce this from the reality of our culture. One of the, uh, in, in one of my church history classes when I was in college, one of our professors said, church history is history. Um, in essence, that the church is mirroring what's happening outside of the church, that there's a reality that a lot of the decisions getting made in a church are influencing the culture, and the culture is influencing the church. Both are happening simultaneously. So in essence, church history, if you study it, you'll probably see a lot of the ebbs and flows of history. Decisions that the church is making is largely impacting culture, and culture's decisions are largely impacting the church. What's crazy is if you and I paused and said, okay, let's just think societally about women in our culture, let's just say North American culture. A hundred years ago, women in the room, you did not have the right to vote. Think about that. A hundred years ago, you could not go vote. That's an interesting thing to, to, to contemplate. Now, here's the thing. Culture moves so rapidly and so fast now like, before we leave here today, there'll be five apps on your phone that have a new update. You know what I mean? Like, we are moving so fast that we sometimes miss that, like, 100 years ago was not that long ago, right? Like, it really wasn't that long ago. There's people alive right now that were alive when women couldn't vote. That's interesting when you really pause and think about it. It was 1920 when women were given the right to vote. And there was a whole movement called the Women's Suffrage Movement that brought that about. And there was a lot of people who were very much against women having the right to vote. In the 1910s, there was a particular uh, uh, bulletin program thing that was produced. You can see it here. And one of the quotes from there says, you do not need a ballot to clean out your sink spout. And there's all kinds of other great statements like that about women not needing to vote because it doesn't influence what they're called to do, what they're made to do, which is to clean the house in essence, okay? Um, very interesting when you look back at the language of the early 1900s and you see stuff that today would and should make many of us cringe in the language in which, being in which was being used. And so we come to today and we're like, okay, we're both created equally, but the Bible also has some difficult verses for us to wrestle with that have shaped, for many of us, how we approach this topic. Um, and so what we're going to do here in a moment is we're going to read some of these passages. And as we read these passages, I just want to tell you, for some of you, this might be the first time you've ever heard some of these passages. And I'm going to tell you, there were audible gasps in the first service, which was great. They were like, huh? The Bible says that? Just stick with us, okay? <laughs> um, but, uh, but some of you might be like, yeah, the Bible says it, and that's, I, I, I know that verse, and that verse means something to me. And, and we're going to talk about context for these particular passages. And I want to say this before we even dive into this, especially if you know this conversation. If you're here and you're like, I'm totally aware of this conversation, we're only going to do this. We're going to come down and touch the surface and then go back up today, okay? There's not a whole lot we can do in 20 to 30 minutes of this conversation. I have books on my shelf that are huge books that 
say all kinds of information about this topic. We could not, we could do a whole series on this is what I guess I'm trying to say. So we're going to publish some resources this week on our social media. If you want to shoot me an email, if you're really passionate about this topic, want to learn more, want to know more, um, or maybe you just want to try to understand uh, a different perspective, we can give you resources that will go beyond this morning. So I want to be very clear up front, we're only touching the surface. We can't go as deep as, as is necessary to have a full conversation on this. But we can, I think, touch some of the highlights and some of the main points on the idea that maybe women can be pastors. So 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 12 says this, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quiet and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Wow. Okay, 1 Corinthians, and as I said in first service, these are Paul's words, not mine. Um, 1 Corinthians 11.5. Uh, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, and it is the same as having her head shaved. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. As the law says, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, The way I was taught to read the Bible growing up was the Bible says it, it's true, I believe it, that settles it, right? I don't know if any of you kind of had that way of reading the scriptures, you were like, the Bible says it, there it is. And for many of us, we've been taught this approach, and so we read the surface of the passage and we're like, well, that fits this. And until culture started pushing us, we didn't actually have to go any deeper, We didn't actually have to challenge like, well, what is Paul actually saying there? But I think we're left with a lot of questions in this particular passage when we read the whole of Scripture, which I think is really important. First and foremost, when you read a passage of the Bible and you're like, oh, that doesn't square right with my understanding of what I've read here, 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 and here, or I just, wow, that's an interesting way of putting it. I think it's important for us to to consider the broader context of Scripture first What's scripture as a whole saying? But then also, one of the things that's really important is who is the author of the passage that I'm reading? All the passages I just read you and most of the passages that come into consideration over this conversation are written by Paul, okay? And Paul uh, is, writes nearly half the New Testament when you consider just the, the letters of the New Testament. He writes uh, right around half of them. What is Paul communicating in these particular passages? It's important for us to consider how we read Paul. How we read Paul really matters because it doesn't just inform how we understand women in ministry, but it informs a whole host of other theological topics. So first, it's probably good for me to give you like a basic framework of who Paul is. So Paul, if he was here today, let's just imagine Paul's here today. What he would pretty much be is a church planter who plants and then leaves. Uh, plants, gets a leader going. Uh, so let's say Paul planted Midtown, put Allie, probably not Allie, um, someone else in uh, leadership there, and then, um, and then moved on to the next city, right? 
And then uh, the, the, the pastor of that church might write a letter, or in this case, send an email, right? Whatever, however you want to do it, um, to, to Paul and say, hey, we're dealing with these particular problems. So in this day, Paul would plan a church, and then that church would send him a letter, we're dealing with X, Y, and Z problems. And then Paul would write a letter back, okay? What we have are the letters Paul wrote back. What's interesting about that, we have the letters Paul wrote back, but we don't have the letters Paul received, So we don't always know the context, like what was happening that Paul's addressing. I think that's really important for us to consider, that we don't always have the context of what Paul's writing. But Paul's writing a letter to the church on how to operate. And this is really important because the question becomes, for our community today, let's put it this way. Let's say Hummelstown's dealing with a particular problem. Fill in the blank, imagine whatever problem you want to deal with. And let's say Midtown, our other campus, is dealing with the same exact problem. Now, what if I and our board as leaders said, we're going to solve that problem in Hummelstown this way. We're going to solve it in Midtown this way, a different way, two different ways, right? That might be the best way to go about it because there are two different cultures, you might say, two different people groups. One church is established coming up on 18 years here. The other church is just over one year old. You might say there's some differences there that might lead to you making a different decision in how you solve a potentially complex problem, right? So, if Paul has a number of churches in a number of different contexts, and he tells them, do this, is he telling the church universal, do this, or is he telling that church at that time for that moment with that situation to do this? It becomes a problem as we read Paul because at times he can seem to even contradict himself, you might say. Or he gives one church a particular prescription and another church maybe a different prescription. Or he emphasizes one particular way of doing things in one community but doesn't emphasize that in another community. You can see that Paul, uh, there's a lot of complexity and a lot of gray. Maybe you've been handed a very black and white way of reading Paul, but it's actually pretty complex at times as we read the letters of Paul. What makes it even more complex, and especially on this issue, is the pagan worship of the day. So there was a temple called the Temple of Aphrodite. And this is Strabo, the great Greek historian. And this is what he says about the Temple of Aphrodite. He says, the Temple of Aphrodite was so rich that it owned more than a thousand temple slaves, courtesans, whom both men and women had dedicated to the goddess. Now, this particular temple is a temple of prostitution. I'll let you do the math on what that means. And so um, this was actually an economic engine of the particular place. Uh, Corinth, in which the temple rested. Uh, If you don't know, Paul writes two letters to to Corinth, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and much of what we see about women in ministry, we find uh, from one of the passages we even just read, 1 Corinthians. What we can consider as we look at Strabo and we look at his particular understanding of what was happening historically there, but also as we consider what Paul's addressing, how many of you today, women in the room, took some time on your hair this morning. How many of you maybe wore some jewelry this morning? Uh, You did. How many of you maybe put some nice clothes on today, okay? Um, Here's the deal. What I struggled with growing up was how women, in the context in which I grew up, weren't allowed to lead, weren't allowed to have authority over men, weren't allowed to speak maybe, or in certain contexts, okay? But wearing jewelry wasn't a problem. Not having their heads covered wasn't a problem. All these other things weren't a problem. They took some as cultural and some as, like, this is the only way of understanding it. 
Uh, it has to be this way. Paul said it. It's true. But we wonder if Paul's addressing here the temple of Aphrodite. How might it influence a church if they were to be planted in a place where the economic engine for the community was a temple of prostitution, where all the sailors would stop on this particular route intentionally, uh, they would spend their money in this particular place, uh, and this was known by the city. And then you plant a church in that city, and people from that temple who have been filling this hole that they have, this, this feeling of like, I need to understand who God is. I need to know more about my purpose, my meaning. And they begin to get exposed to the gospel, to the church. And as they come to church, they come to church with their hair all done up a certain way, their jewelry all a certain way, um, the, the way they would even speak and the way in which they, would, they, they knew God and understood God was a certain way. And you're like, hold on, those are all attached to pagan rituals. We're not going to have any of that here, right? We're different. And so, and by the way, the predominant group coming from that community is women. And so you begin to say, okay, how do we take these particular women coming from this context and enfold them into our community with potential? It's creating problems, obviously. And so one of the things we, we've been learned from history, I guess, is that maybe Paul's addressing, hey, having your hair braided is connected to temple worship. Having all the gold and pearls and all the fine clothes is connected to temple worship. Um, you don't really know the gospel. You've been taught a whole different way of relating to God. So like you teaching and having authority right now, that's probably not the best thing. Not to mention women in the first century weren't really educated. Like there wasn't an, an, an educational engine for women, young women in the first century. So the idea that they would even have the education to teach would, would probably require a particular, particularly unique situation. So Paul's addressing all of this, and we wonder, like, so is Paul speaking descriptively, or is Paul speaking for this particular culture in this particular context? A great question, and it's a question we should all wrestle with. Now, some might say, well, okay, yes, women aren't to be treated as second-class citizens. Women can talk in church. They can you know, that, that shouldn't be understood that way. But the scriptures are clear that men are deacons and men are elders and women are not. And here's where scripture would be clear. First Timothy 3.2 and 3.12 says this, now the overseer or elder is to be above reproach faithful to his wife. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. So they would em put emphasis on his they would also, there's also other passages that emphasize it being at least a male-centered approach to the particular role. Um, some just on the face, when you look at this particular passage, you, you then begin to ask, like, so does the person have to be married? Because if you take the his seriously, you also kind of take the do they have to be married seriously? Do they have to have kids? There's all kinds of questions that can flow out of that. But before long, this, by the way, this is written by Paul again. This is First Timothy, written by Paul. We can see another part of Paul in Romans 16 that actually acknowledges a female deacon. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Chinchiria. Interesting. So Phoebe is a deacon in the church. This is written by Paul as well. Who, the same Paul who said women aren't supposed to be deacons. So is that what he's saying there? I don't know. It's interesting, right? Then we have another passage just a few verses later that says, Greet 
and Drachmas and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of, G- of Christ before I did. Now, there's some debate about the language here among the apostles. Some say the apostle, like some read it in that the apostles had respect for them. But really, a lot of people would argue the way of reading this is that they are respected as apostles, that they are elders, leaders, apostles, and that Junia is part of that, Junia being a female. And so we struggle with Paul is really the way of saying this. I've brought you into a glimpse picture, uh, uh, just a short glimpse uh, of how we struggle with to understand Paul on this particular topic. Can women be pastors? What would Paul say if he was here? Paul's also a product of his time. He's a Jew of Jews is what we hear, and Jews are particularly, the Old Testament is gonna be very male-centric. So we have a very male-centric understanding and picture of, of God, of how to relate to one another, of, of, of even a woman's place in society and culture, in worship, all of that. And so here's what I would say. When we struggle to understand, whether we're reading Paul, whether we're reading the Old Testament, whether we're reading anything, it's always good to go back to Jesus and to say, okay, the best picture of God I can get is through the lens of Jesus. And so what does Jesus teach us about women? And when we pause and ask that question, we actually find that Jesus is radically inclusive of women. Like, I mean, it's amazing that that that, that alone didn't kind of get him stoned or sent to the cross from his particular culture because Jesus is always allowing women in proximity of him. Whereas most rabbis of the day would have been very, very careful to allow women to get close to them. So one of Jesus' very first things he does when, when, when he begins his ministry is he walks his disciples through Samaria. Very similar to last week where they had to go to the other side. They had to walk through Samaria is what Jesus said, even, then, even though they didn't need to. And they get to a well and Jesus begins a conversation with a particular woman. And, and then that conversation goes to this. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. In essence, I am the Messiah. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. What's fascinating here is Jesus hasn't declared this to anybody yet. The first person Jesus declares that he's the Messiah to is a woman. A woman. And not just a woman, a Samaritan woman, which brings about a whole slew of other like, th- realities of like, wow, that's crazy. His disciples don't even know that he's the Messiah yet. Jesus tells this woman he's the Messiah. And then what does the woman do? She goes back to her city and starts telling them about Jesus. And then it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Jesus doesn't say, hold on, you're not allowed to go talk about this. (laughs) You're not allowed to talk, (laughs) right? No, he doesn't say you need to make sure you have your head covered before you go back, take your jewelry off or whatever. She goes and she shares about Jesus And it says many from that town followed Jesus. That's very interesting, right? That the first evangelist, if you will, for Jesus is the Samaritan woman. So if we were to look at the bookends of Jesus' life and ministry, the very start of his ministry, first person he declares that he's the Messiah to is a woman, a Samaritan woman. And at the very end of his life or his resurrection, we see Mary Magdalene. Here's here's how the passage goes. Mary went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that uh, that he had said these things to her. 
And the picture I'm trying to paint here is like, at the, the first person to find out Jesus was resurrected, what we celebrate on Easter, what, what really is, is part of the gospel that's most emphasized, resurrection, a woman was the first to see that, know that, spread that news. That's fascinating. Jesus could have come back to anyone. Jesus could have met anyone at a well, but he meets a woman. Jesus could have come back to anyone as resurrected, and you have a woman that he comes back to. By the way, all the men are, are hiding, <laughs> which I think is interesting, to, right? They're all hiding, and, and Mary's at the grave finding out about Jesus. Jesus preached and lived for the marginalized, including women, which I think is important for us, uh, especially when we ask, how are women being marginalized today? If Jesus was particularly interested in those who are marginalized, I think we have the question to ask ourselves today, how are women marginalized today? And then the difficult question, and the reason I think it's important that we talk about this today, how has the church participated in their marginalization? Because we have. We have, whether that's just because we've allowed culture to lead us and guide us on this topic, and we haven't actually entered into the difficult reality that Jesus seems to discuss women very differently than Paul, or at least in the, in the case of his openness to women, Paul seems to give a different picture to particular contexts, maybe. We have a lot to wrestle with. It's not as black and white and clear as maybe some of us were handled or handed, and it causes us to have to say the scriptures are a little more complex on this particular topic. We have a long way to go, and here's why I want to say we have a long way to go. I've got a friend who is a pastor, and she's a lead pastor of a community, and we talk regularly. I have a few friends who are females who are pastors in a lead context. And I talk to them about the struggles of their experience, and they navigate very different waters than me. Um, and I think that's unfortunate. I actually was texting with one of my friends yesterday, and I'll just read you. I asked her, I said, could you send me some of your experience as a lead pastor? Because I'm getting ready to, to do this message tomorrow, and I'd love to just share a little bit from a from a woman's perspective trying to be a pastor in the church. Here's what she says. How about when they say, oh, princess is here. She says, really, and that's your elders speaking to you. The disrespect I deal with on a daily basis is unbelievable, mostly by 60-plus-year-old white guys or old white women. They would never speak to a male pastor like they do to me as a young female pastor. But I also have people who support me greatly, and for that, I'm grateful. That's one of the texts she sent me yesterday as we were talking about this. I think that's unfortunate that, that, that that's a reality for women, and I think part of that is because we've bought into a theology that says, I, a woman can't lead me. A woman can't lead me anywhere, because that's not how God designed it, maybe, is what we're telling ourselves when we even say those things. Jesus was all about the good news. I don't think the posture we've had toward women in ministry is good news. Not good news for women, but also not good news for our communities. It's insulated us from a completely different perspective on leadership, completely different perspective on relating to one another that I think is necessary. And I say this because we have females on our board here at the bridge, our strategic leadership team, we have females on that team. And those particular individuals provide a perspective 
that I don't have. They have a way of leading that I, I don't have that way of seeing the world. And it helps me make better decisions. We collectively make better decisions as a board because we have women on our board. I believe that fully. Also, we have a pastor, Pastor Ali, I mentioned her earlier, um, who's our pastor of our Midtown campus, our campus pastor there. Her leadership is so important for the bridge, and I don't think some of you guys know kind of how Allie works within the structure of the bridge. Allie came into ministry a little over a year ago out of the corporate world into ministry as she had already been on our board but felt called into ministry, has a huge heart for people, uh, and has a ton of skills that I do not have. One example of those skills that she has that I do not have is that she's really good at managing people, at um, managing volunteers, and leading in that capacity and making good decisions in those spaces. I do not have those gifts. I'm just going to be straight up with you. I apologize if you're a volunteer that's had to work with me. Um, but I'll just say, like, like, I'm not as good at leading in those spaces Whereas she excels, like she's designed for that. God, and so when we're making decisions about how we're going to organize volunteers, how we're going to do things around events or around other things, I let her lead. I follow her uh, for both campuses, by the way, too, because she's much more suited to lead in that particular space. Now, there's a variety of gifts that we, I could go into that Allie has that, that I defer to and that people on our board have that I defer to. Um, but ultimately, I'm finding more and more like I'm better when I lean on the women around me who have been gifted. And by the way, the men around me who are gifted and tooled differently than I am. And when you really think about it, like <laughs> I was thinking as I was preparing for this of all the women who have led me in my life, like starting with my mom, like my mom was a leader in my life, like shaped me. My wife leads me in many ways. Um, as stubborn as I might be, she, she leads me, right? Like she, she teaches me a whole different perspective on parenting, a whole different way of, of being even. Um, and then I think of all the women that God has placed in my life who, if it wasn't for their leadership in my life, whether it was in Sunday school, whether it was a small group leader in, in, in middle school or high school, or whether it was even professors who were women that taught me the Bible, um, if it wasn't for these people, I may not be the pastor that I am today. If it wasn't for my relationships with other lead pastors who are women, I may not have as full a picture of the gospel as I have today. I think it's really important for us to consider, like, what we think about this topic. For some of us, it might be like, well, I thought about that like 20 years ago, and I read the Bible, and the Bible said it, and it was true, and I just moved on. Women can't be pastors. That's the way it is. And what we're, what we're talking about in this series is wait. Let's just pause for a second and ask ourselves the question afresh. Can women be pastors? For, for many of us, maybe that's where we need to start. We need to like say, okay, I always thought I saw it this way, but maybe there's a different approach to this. And so I want to encourage you, this week we're going to post an article from, from uh, Fuller Seminary that kind of goes really in-depth on this. And if you want to go deeper, there's going to be some videos in that post. There's also some stuff you can read about. And it'll go a little deeper and give you some more context and wrestle with some more passages that we didn't even read today 
and talk through some more ideas that we didn't get a chance to share today. But ultimately, I want to tell you this. The bridge is decided on this. Obviously, we have a woman as a pastor, and we have women on our board. But we want to also say this. We want to be a place of belonging for all people coming from all perspectives. And so if you're here and your perspective is women shouldn't be pastors, that's the way I understand the scriptures. We would say, hey, you're welcome here, and you're welcome to, to, to continue to work through that with us or to stay right there where you're at with that. That's not going to change the way we operate and the way we relate to one another. We think there's great value in having women on our staff and on our leadership team, and we're going to continue uh, to even use the title pastor to declare what they're doing because what Allie's doing is pastoral. She is a pastor to her community, and we want to celebrate that. Uh, growing up, I remember seeing many women who were given the title director when really what they were doing was pastor, and I thought it was quite unfortunate. And we don't really want to do that here. We want to acknowledge what's being done, and it's, it's pastoral what she's doing. And so we're going we're gonna to push the envelope on that. You're going to be in a community potentially that might challenge you if that's your theology. But we welcome you to be here, and we want to be challenged by you, and we want to, to wrestle with that reality together. And through this series, we're going to continue to wrestle with ideas. I think next Sunday is wait. Science might be right. And then I think um, the next Sunday after that is wait. Having tattoos doesn't mean I'm going to hell. Um, and uh, we're going to continue to do like, you know, some, some things that maybe some of us have been taught a certain way of seeing the world or a certain way of seeing scripture. And we're going to come at it with fresh eyes. So uh, continue to wrestle with us. I think it's good that we bring up some of these topics that at times for many of us might be controversial, might feel like we're on one side of it and someone else is on another side of it. But here's the deal. The beautiful thing is that how we hold these things as a community together actually reveals a lot about how well we're following Jesus. Like if we can love one another through the difficult topics like this, like it actually means we're looking more and more like Jesus. When we say, look, that person believes differently about me or than me on this particular thing, but that doesn't actually reveal who they are. It doesn't, have to, it doesn't have to mean that I can't be in relationship with them because we come to this particular topic differently. We can still love one another, be brothers and sisters. Um, and so hopefully through this series, we'll see that as well. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, I'm so thankful for the many women that you've placed in my life. Uh, and I pray that each of us would maybe even consider how Women in leadership have, has influenced our own walks and our own journeys, whether that be our faith or just our life in general, God. We are so thankful for the many women that you've placed in key roles in our lives. We pray that we would just continue to grow in gratitude toward them and thankfulness and um, just be mindful of that reality, God. And even as we gather as a community and we determine, you know, how we're going to organize and how we're going to think and how we're going to process women in leadership, God, I pray that you would just continue to remind us of the heart of Jesus on this matter and how Jesus related to women, uh, the proximity that he placed himself in toward women, um, but even more, uh, the love he seemed to have for women, um, a love that seemed to be quite inclusive. And so we pray that you would give us that heart as well, uh, that you would give us a love for one another, but also a love for having a diversity in leadership, Lord, and, and continue to grow us as we read the scriptures, because it can be hard to understand your word. It can be hard to read the words of Paul and want to be true to the scripture and true to what's being said, but also um, true to our experience and how we're relating to one another, God. And so we pray ultimately that you would continue to provide clarity 
God, we pray that we would come to know you more through the lens of Jesus, that we would look to Jesus, and as we know Jesus, that we would know you more, God. In the name of Jesus, amen.